Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast What's up fungal associates? Welcome to the completely arboretum. The Patreon. Casey, the place where dreams come true, Alex. That's right. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you agreed with that. If you didn't agree to it, I would have been a little bit hurt. Yes and, am I right? Yes and. Oh god. It's not hyperbolic, Casey, <laughs> because today we have a very special episode. We do. Tell us about it. We have friends of the pod and podcasters themselves, Lizzie Falconer and Jen Thomas from the podcast Shorts. Hi, you guys. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. I have to admit, every time I say the name of your show, I want to say Schwartz. Like, like, like Schwartz, the name, you know? And oh, like it, yogurt. Exactly. Straight from Spaceballs, the movie, Schwartz. That'll be our spinoff show. <laughs> okay, good. Or you just yeah. talk about the different themes of Spaceball movies and other things by um, Mel Brooks. It'd be a great one. Exactly. Anyway, I yeah. just wanted to share. <laughs> Casey. <laughs> no, we'll always take that creative feedback, Casey. Okay, we'll take thank it. You. Yeah, yeah. We, always, we love it. Yeah, anytime someone wants an opinion, just let me know. I'm here. <laughs> Casey's consulting on your next podcast idea. That's how we view it. I invent the podcast idea, consult on it, then charge you for it. Wow. Absolutely. This we is going, going well racket. so far. <laughs> um, hello, Lizzie. Hello, Jen. Welcome to the show. Uh, why, don't you, why don't we do this sort of open uh, a la carte style and have you introduce yourselves? Uh, Lizzie, let's start with you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. Um, thanks, Casey. And hi, Fungal Associates. Hello. Nice to meet you all virtually via the pod. Um, my name's Lizzie Falconer, and I'm the co-host of Shorts. I live in Portland, Oregon, and um, I'm super excited to talk with you guys today about this short story. We're super excited to have you, Lizzie. Jen, what's up? Well, I am the only person here who's not in Portland, so yeah. <laughs> that's true. I'm already feeling like I'm gonna have to do some work here. You gotta, you gotta um, make up for the hipness. <laughs> There's none of that over over none. here in London. Um, <laughs> we're not, we're not so hip. We've got other things going for us. What have you guys ever led on? Mod was that a thing? That was hip. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I hope oh, no one it, from the UK listens to this. Do we not talk about mod? <laughs> I don't Whoops. know. I don't know. I don't even know oh, what mod is. Shoot. Start the whole thing over. I mean, 
I'm not going to sit here and just talk about like the queen, etc. Yeah. But um, I can do if that's required. <laughs> you're you're um, not. We don't. We don't uh, need you to be an ambassador for your country. Okay. You can just be who you are. Yeah. And Jen, please tell us who you are and what you do. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Jen, and I am the other co-host of Shorts. Um, and I'm over here in London. Lizzie and I uh, started the the podcast during lockdown because we were so far away from each other, and we wanted to. We wanted to have a reason to come back together and to talk about the things that we love. So um, it's just really exciting to be here and to to meet you both and to share a little bit about this short story. It's super exciting to have you guys. Uh, you are both podcasters. Um, you have a podcast called Shorts. Uh, please, will you tell us a little bit about your podcast? It's delightful. I'll say that. I am a uh, recent uh, new binging fan. Um, please tell us about the premise of your podcast and, uh, what it's all about. Yeah, of course. So we started shorts because we love reading, but we kept joining book clubs and then sort of falling away from Mm. being able to have read the whole book in time. I don't know if anyone else has experienced this. It's like, I love stories. (laughs) I love novels. I'm here for it. And I'm only halfway through the book. I got distracted by a thing and now I've missed the book club meeting. 100%. Um, I feel like if you miss one of those two, you're like way behind. You can't. It's over. Yeah. You're never getting back on the track. You just stop no. showing up. You're like, I'm done with this. I'm out. You have to ghost all those people. Yes, I actually did that to a book club that Jen and I were in with a group of women. I showed up to the first one, having not read the full book, and then just bailed. Oh, so wow. I, I apologize to the Literary Ladies podcast, like, of which I avoid every call. <laughs> Sorry. You see him in the market, and you're just like, hi. And you just like walk around like, oh, I'm just looking at these potatoes really intensely. <laughs> Nothing else. Shame. The shame of it. Um, but we thought that short stories might be more in our remit. Mm-hmm. So we're like, these take 20 minutes. I've got yeah. 20 minutes. And actually, when you dive into short stories, they're so dense that there is so much to unpack. They can tell you so much about either a kind of slice of life of a character or about a whole world that's just created for a moment and then it's Mm. gone. And we've just had the best time. We read loads of stories to prep for the episodes. We choose our absolute favorites. We choose the ones which make us laugh or which make us cry or which move us or which make us just think about something in a different way and then we unpack that story together mm-hmm. well said it's i mean it's you make it sound great and it is great uh lizzie go ahead yeah i was just going to add we focus primarily on contemporary short stories too because mm-hmm. a lot of the short stories that you hear about or people talk about are 50 years old 70 yeah. years old and there's so many amazing new writers that are out Mm. there from all over the world with new things to say and different perspectives. And that's what it's all about, especially at lockdown. When we started this, it was like, I need to get out of my own bubble. I can, I need to get out of my own brain in my room. Um, And short stories were the best way to do that and to see the world, as we always say, through a different perspective. I love that. I sort of, I sort of equate like the difference between reading a novel and reading a short story to like, Sometimes I don't always feel like watching a movie, like a full two-hour movie. 
but I will sit and watch four 30-minute episodes of a TV show, and that feels like more digestible to me. Which is so funny, because it's the same amount of like time that you're spending on it. That's, that's really curious. But I, I like what you said, Jen, about, uh, you know, sh- Casey. Casey's coughing up a storm. You're choking on your coffee. <laughs> Actually, I'll admit, I took the coffee to try to get rid of the cough, but the cough overcame the coffee, well. and so now I have a coffee cough. It's in the name, Casey. You it should is. have known better. I shouldn't have known. Uh, I, I like what you said about short stories being more uh, being dense. Um, makes absolute sense. You're using fewer words to say what you want to say, mm-hmm. so every word matters that much more, as opposed to you know a 700-page novel. Uh, and, of course, I, I'm being... This, this is a very general statement. Uh, there are 700-page novels where every word matters incredibly. Um, not the stuff I read. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of it. So, okay, we had this idea for an episode of, of a podcast, our podcast, and I say that as four people coming together to create a mega episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's that value for money, Casey, for the Patreon? That's, huh? pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thanks for coming up with that idea. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Wow. This is two for one. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie, I think this was your idea. Um, yeah. We ha- you have given us a story, a short story to read. Uh, yep. And here's the big twist, although it might be a predictable one. Hold on. It's about a tree. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> The stars you know, aligned. Yeah, I, I've listened to your podcast for a while. I was like, what would this audience want? It seemed it seemed pretty obvious. You know what yeah. was harder? You really what had to hard- dig. <laughs> really had to dig. What should the theme be? But what was actually harder was finding short stories about trees. Mm. Like, yes. Uh, I really struggled. Uh, I found a lot of fables or like stories written for five-year-olds, yeah. uh, but didn't think that was good enough. But we did in the end find a perfect short story i think for for you all i should admit though anything that is also like fit for five-year-olds completely good for our our audience they would be like wow. yeah that sounds good not that they're five years i don't know how to take plus, that casey plus five-year-olds i mean so casey they, said that yeah. not me you know still subscribe to shorts yeah, i feel like they'd be like yeah you know what i'll, I'll take that i'll take that because yeah we you know i just think it'd be nice it's it's well known that casey is an enemy of the fans <laughs> i hate them this is part of our culture <laughs> that's not true i should i take it back um casey jen lizzie today's short story uh, you know what? I'm going to have you guys introduce this because you found it. Uh, what is this story and who wrote it? Let's let's get it. Let's let's dig into the ooh. Let's dig into the pages. Mm-hmm. By the pages, I mean this word doc I have. <laughs> um, sure. Today we are reading "Direction of the Road" by Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, so this story is told through the perspective of a tree a tree itself, and it's a specific tree. It's an oak just south of the, and this is where I'm going to start going wrong, the McKinville Bypass uh, on the Oregon State Highway. Uh, And through this oak tree, um, which is standing at the side of the road, we see generations of human progression. So we see from horse and carts to motor cars to a highway, and it all unfolds through this narrative that's told through the, I guess, the eyes of the oak tree. And this tree believes itself to be sentient, it's mobile and it's articulate. And uh, through this voice, this voice of the tree, we are left to question our place in the world, our 
impact on nature, our constant need to move forward, and it raises all of these big questions about our own humanity. That Jen, is so perfect. That was beautifully said. I almost want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Completely Arboretum. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Great, um, we did it. Yes, yes. Well, well done. Um, okay, I'll just, I'll start by saying I adored reading this story. It is so fucking weird. Yes, and so good. Um, Casey. Yes. What did you think? I I didn't think it was weird. Honestly, as soon as I first started reading, I was like, "This is from the tree's perspective." I get it. <laughs> like he knew. First thing I was I was reading through, and I was like, "They used to be so demanding." I was like, "It's us. It's us. It's <laughs> it has to be." And I don't know if it was, but that was my first go to. And then I kept going down, and reading through, and then slowly it came out. I thought at the uh, as the story went, I was still trying to figure out like what the uh, what the perspective exactly was. Yeah, and I was like in the exact sense of it and i thought that was a fascinating like um way to see it it's like a perspective of a perspective i don't know i i thought it was it was gorgeously written and then also at the end uh alex and i brought this up um it talks about something we talked about in another episode which is to be coming out casey alex leave it there okay that's our tease oh god I want to bring this up later. I'm sorry. That's okay. This is good. Sorry to steamroll you. I love being. I love being steamrolled by. But, but we can't. <laughs> we can't reveal the climax before we. Oh shoot! Okay, you're right. <laughs> anyway, this Casey and I talked before we we not, started yeah, recording. It was not only topical in multiple ways. Um, it also is just like the perspective of a tree that's not like hey, I'm sitting here hanging out. I'm a tree. It was like no, no, no. No, so, this is. Yeah. This is an active tree. I loved it. And it made me think of my old neighbor uh, in a certain way, in the way that the tree has its its opinion on things. Anyway. Uh, Lizzie, give us your scoop on this strange as fuck story. Yeah. I I mean, Jen and I haven't talked about, I haven't talked with any of you yet about <gasps> this story oh. at all, which is, which is part of the fun part to get everybody's different perspectives. But yeah, it's weird as shit, which I love. And I love, I mean, I do love a short story that trashes humans. I mean, anytime that we can, <laughs> I, I do love a, uh, when there's subtle digs at humans and there's not so subtle digs um, in this yeah. one. For sure. You know, and I think it's worth saying that this short story was actually published in 1975. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so, you know, not so contemporary, but it was republished in 2017. So that's how I'm getting around this contemporary thing. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, it, I had to read it a couple times to try to understand the perspective thing you're talking about, Casey. And I, yes. I think we'll probably get into that. But my favorite parts of it were just how opinionated and stubborn this tree was. Like yeah. he talks about, he doesn't like squirrels. He doesn't like beetles. He mm -hmm. likes birds. Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm gendering this tree. Interesting. Continue. Sorry. Okay. Um, so maybe we'll just let, let, maybe I should note that. Um, but the, I just thought it was, it was like you're saying, Casey, I've never thought about how a tree would see the world in this way. Uh-huh. It was yeah. so imaginative and that was fun to just be like, well, that's what, what is he talking about? Like, how curious. Yeah. Yeah. So there, this book, this book, this story, uh, is short. It is 
it is a fitting uh it is a fitting story to have chosen for this it's like five pages or so on on my google doc Mm -hmm. um However, there is an immense amount of world building that happen that starts immediately and continues through the entire story uh, to the point where I didn't really get the grasp of what was happening and what kind of universe this tree was existing in uh-huh. until like the last few words, um, which was a fun. That's 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 fun to read. And you don't quite understand, but you are intrigued. So you continue, and then little bits of information revealed as you... It, I'm describing good writing. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, the world building is so unique, and um, it feels very... Uh, I, said th- I said this to Casey this morning. I said it feels like a science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of sci-fi, and there's so much like assumed talk of like these characters exist in their world. They're not the narrator isn't going to explain to us what's happening. They're just going to show oh, yeah. what happens, yeah. um, and the rules of their world, which is what this tree does. And you just kind of have to keep up, yeah, uh, and like read it twice, and and everything makes a lot more sense. Yeah, which you guys both said that's what we should do. We we're like, what what, what tips should uh, do yeah. you have? And you said read it twice, right? Jen, what about you? What did you think of it? What was your first impression? Really, everything you're saying is resonating for me. I loved the world that this that Le Guin creates. And, you know, some of your listeners will probably have heard of Ursula K. Le Guin. She's, uh, she's primarily a fantasy writer. Yeah. So she's really famous for creating the Earthsea series, which is, a, you know, kind of this epic world. Um, and sh- a lot of her short stories take place in either completely kind of fantasy sci-fi worlds or a world where just one thing is kind of slightly shifted. So she shifts our perspective a little bit and that's what she's done here. And I think what's amazing about this story and the world that is built here is that it entirely seems to revolve around this tree. So this tree is like, is standing right in the center of the world and whether it is or isn't moving whether kind of it is or isn't sort of sentient is left up to our imaginations but it seems like this tree is like i'm here and i'm at the center of my own world and everything is revolving around me and yes. if that doesn't tell us something about our own humanity i don't know what else <laughs> will. i love that i love that kind of reflected perspective and mm-hmm. how she builds that in such a minute story as you say it's so short alex yeah and it's subtle it's like the 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 way she describes this tree's perspective it it really doesn't knock you over the head like i said i was i was still figuring it out in the last sentence um i want to read a passage uh here. yes go for it i was gonna say you guys should also read passages because i'm ser- i'm curious i also have a bunch of oh, it's hard to see a bunch of highlights and like uh, underlines and things so i'm curious uh oh that what, fills what, my nerdy heart <laughs> Casey. Good. you annotated it yay and you know what else i'm also upset about is uh, jen you said earlier oh yeah i got 20 minutes i can read this i think it took me an hour last night mm. to read through this i'm notoriously slow at reading and i can't like i know so many people that can just read critically take it in and be like yeah okay now i I know this and i've thought about it and i can give you the pluses and the minuses i have to read through things 
30 times to be like, okay, I, ha- I now have an opinion about this. So anyway, it took me an hour. Casey, I love this, that. this shocks me that you, that you are a self-described slow reader because yeah. it seems like every day you're like, I just finished this book on this thing. <laughs> no, I have to, it's the, it's, yes, I'm trying to read, uh, for those of you who don't know, two books a month this entire year. Yeah. And it's so hard to do. And I'm right now behind by one book, but we're already halfway into the next month and I haven't even started my February books. Wow. So for shame. It, it's like the amount of time I spend, Alex, per book read is atrocious. <laughs> I am so excited about this for you, Casey, because this means you're going to cross over into the land of the short story. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm enjoying. Uh, kind of like, perfect. One great. of us. One but, of us. <laughs> I'm going to call them all books to be very clear, though. Exactly. So at the end of it, I read 30 books this year. Oh, wow. 30 stories, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. That's a broad term. Sorry, Alex. So go go read uh, your, your favorite passage. Well, then, Casey, I, I'm not going to read my favorite passage, oh, okay. but I am going to read... I'm just going to read the first paragraph. Uh, This will give uh, listeners a good basis for how this world works. They did not used to be so demanding. They never hurried us into anything more than a gallop, and that was rare. Most of the time, it was just a jig-jog foot pace. And when one of them was on his own feet, it was a real pleasure to approach him. There was time to accomplish the entire act with style. There he'd be working his legs and arms the way they do, usually looking at the road, but often aside at the fields or straight at me, and I'd approach him steadily, but quite slowly, growing larger all the time, synchronizing the rate of approach and the rate of growth perfectly, so that at the very moment that I'd finish enlarging from a tiny speck to my full size, 60 feet in those days, I was abreast of him and hung above him, loomed, towered, overshadowed him. Yet he would show no fear. Not even the children were afraid of me, though often they kept their eyes on me as I passed by and started to diminish. I was already so lost because I actually, I didn't go into the story knowing that it was from the perspective of a tree. Uh, I thought she was talking about a horse and then it fell apart eventually when she mentions horses. Um, But this is the first paragraph it's a doozy. It sets up the rules of the world. And uh, Casey, mm-hmm. tell us about those rules. The, these, the rules, so this is the perspective I found after doing this. You're, you're in a car, uh-huh. and you, ha- you look in the rearview mirror, and you see something like coming at the mirror, and then it goes away again. Yes. Like, you know, it gets further away. That, that is, that's the rule that I found is that the tree... The tree is not standing still, yes. but it's also growing and diminishing in size. So it's projecting its own perspective from the thing that is looking at it. So it's a perspective of the perspective of the other thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Casey, I- you nailed it. It took me so long to get that. I was like, I don't know if we can do this story because I couldn't figure it out for it sometime. Yeah. But wow. Yes. Amazing. I I love that this tree has like a sense of pride in this like performance of growing and shrinking relative to to another what does she call them? Oh, I wrote it down. She calls what? them <laughs> 
Um, she has different, or the tree has different categories for mortal creatures. Yes. Yes. Bound, loose, or free. And she calls uh, humans loose. Yes. Right. I love that. Loose creatures. A bunch of loosies out here. And she calls things that are made. I'm really going all over the place with this tree gender. Um, she uh, calls, like, if it's when we get to the car, they call it a making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if something is is human made, it's a making. And I love those tweaks of language. So it's those things that make us realize we're in a world that's that's really similar, but just slightly different from our own. Yes. Yeah. It's almost creepy. I don't know. It, it feels a little bit like walking into Willy Wonka's factory and mm. everything looks familiar, but you don't know the rules and like yeah. everything's a little goofy and upside down. Yeah. You're trying to get your bearings through the whole story. Mm-hmm. You're trying yeah. to understand how, how much it is like the world you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I adore the idea of things uh, being loose. Like, yeah, it's a loose creature. Like, I I think that's such a fun, like, term. Like, oh, yeah, that's just another loose one or whatever. Like, yeah, they're not bound to to the earth. Yeah, but I, I, I imagine the perspective that, like, that's an evolution where it's like everything used to be bound. Now some have gotten loose. Like, that sort of thing. Loose, to me, intuits that it is uh, it, it is innately connected to the idea of it being bound first. So you can't have something loose. The What am I thinking? Like, there's nothing large without it being, in relativity, something small. Mm-hmm. So a loose creature is in contrast to a bound creature, but you can't have loose without having bound. Yes. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm just, you know, wrong. Well, she calls them loose because she is bound. Yes, right? yeah. It's that interconnectedness that is so evident throughout this story Uh so every action has a has a reaction every object is in relativity to another and it's it's a really beautifully crafted way of articulating what ends up coming through in the story which is kind of the the tension between the natural world and then these made machine Mm -hmm. objects that start to come into it Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The, the story is told in kind of three acts. Uh, the first act sets the stage and kind of gives us a glimpse at the perspective and the rules of this universe. The second act, Casey, you hate to see it. They put in a damned highway. They sure did. Okay, this is my favorite passage, which Alex has to do exactly with the the building of the road, which you hate to see. And this is what it says. Yearly then, weekly, daily, they began or they became commoner. Uh, they being uh, motor cars. They became a major feature of the local order of things. The road was dug up and remetalled, widened, finished off, smooth and nasty, like a slug's trail, with no ruts, pools, rocks, flowers, or shadows on it. 
I love that. Yeah. Like, everyone's like, oh, a nice smooth road. That's really beautiful. And the tree's like, look at it. It's disgusting. They make it sound so gross. Like a slug's trail. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favorite uh, favorite line from this paragraph that then moves on to talk about the the creatures. So I'll finish that off. There used to be a lot of little loose creatures on the road. Grasshoppers, ants, toads, mice, foxes, and so on. Most of them too small to move for since they couldn't really see one. Now the wise creatures took to avoiding the road and the unwise ones got squashed. I have seen all too many rabbits die in that fashion right at my feet. I am thankful that I am an oak and that though I may be windbroken or uprooted, hewn or sawn, at least I cannot, under any circumstances, be squashed. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it's like that book is like, yeah, you're not going to squash me. That That's not how this works. Yes, it's revealed that this tree is an oak. How yeah. about that? So good. Casey, is this an Oregon white oak, you reckon? It is. I'm almost positive. Okay. I'm sorry. Or a Gary white oak for oh, our geez. friends outside of the state. Anyway, let's mute Alex. Oh. <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So what, what did you guys think what I'm calling act two? What, what are some highlights for you guys? I loved that passage too, Casey. And I was really looking forward to talking uh, with you two about it because I just, I love the disdain of the tree. It's right. his voice. Their voice is so strong of like, mm-hmm. this is not how this is meant to be. Disgusting. <laughs> Humans think that they're building this nice new road. Terrible. Gross. Like yeah. just absolute disdain. And it it's so I love all the notes of loose creatures because you're yeah. able to kind of imagine how beautiful this road is and McMinnville that area of Oregon is really beautiful very yeah. green and it just gets ruined by this slugs trail and I love that that description too because of mm-hmm. course that's how a tree would see it right and for those of you who have never been to McMinnville, Oregon, it's in what they would call the wine country, like the Tualatin Valley side. So it's in this big rolling hills with farmland and knolls with oak trees growing on it. So mm. it's like the classic Willamette Valley, but more hilly. To the west are the uh, the Coast Range. To the east, you can see the Tualatin Hills, which mark the boundary between that valley and Portland proper. So it's this big, like kind of countryside sort of area. Yeah. But I, I completely agree that the tree, seeing all these changes, it even kind of elicits that the road, before they remetaled it, was actually kind of nice. Like, animals used to hang out there all the time. Like, when it was a dirt or, you know, ruddy thing, they, they was like, that was what made it beautiful. I thought that was, like, such a, a poignant, like, rebuke of progress, quote-unquote. Oh, definitely. And, and the, the tree does the same thing when they talk about, you know, when the motor cars arrive and they talk about, they, they use this incredible word jouncing, which yes. I just, I just kept underlining because <laughs> I was like, it's such an ugly word that you can't write, quite get your mouth around. Yeah, it's like inelegant. It's very inelegant. And it says, you know, it, she describes the, the motor cars saying the top of it was open, but it made so much noise that it overrode all voices, even the voice of the song sparrow I had with me that year. The noise was almost as vile as the jouncing. Yeah. <laughs> the jouncing. Like, the disdain, just the word choice, the fact that they describe this song sparrow, which is like got to be one of the most beautiful ideas in the world. And the, the song yeah. sparrow was with the tree all year and they can't hear it because of these 
jouncing motor vehicles which are coming right. down the slug trail it's like oh god <laughs> like yeah. it's really it it is i love also the idea that the like the bird and the tree are both like watching this car go by like in silence like but solidarity with each other being like what is that thing gross uh, i want to read that that jouncing passage um so the tree is describing that the car is uh, there's there's more and more motor cars every day you know um Daily at four, I had to approach it, twitching and stuttering out of the west, and enlarge, loom over and diminish. Then at five back, I had to come poppeting along like a young jackrabbit for all my 60 feet, jigging and jouncing out of the east until at last I got a got until at last I got clear out of sight of the wretched little monster and could relax and loosen my limbs to the evening wind. So good. Such disdain. I love that so much. Uh, Lizzie, I wanted to come back to something you said that this tree is very judgmental. Um, it happens a lot through this story that the tree is like labels things. Uh, there are some capitalized like titles Mm -hmm. for things. Mm -hmm. Um, most notably is the order of things, order and things both being capitalized, which to me, I sort of interpret as like, the laws of nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's so many other ones and I didn't, I didn't fucking uh, highlight them. They like progress is one that they yeah. did on there. Relatedness and relativity. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I also noticed that one of my favorite um, books, it was called uh, I Lucifer and it was written from the perspective of Lucifer. Um, and the author, I think it was, I can't even remember his name. Um, he took and capitalized a bunch of things all the time. Like he would just play da 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 da, then capitalize it because he's like, this is the official version of it and made it into like a pronoun. Mm. And I love that. Every time I see that in writing where things are like not arbitrarily, but not like conventionally capitalized to like draw attention to it as like a, a, a solid thing, I, it makes, I understand that. It, you know, it makes, I can relate to that. You know, we, Jen and I, in, in our two seasons of shorts, have read our fair share of unlikable narrators. Oh. But, um, you know, I, Lucifer, maybe we should check that one out because no more unlikable narrator than no. <laughs> Lucifer <laughs> he's, himself. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> likable and unlikable, both at the same time. Uh, but I do love a narrator with a strong and slightly unreliable perspective. But <laughs> I think that, w- you know, yeah, he... he this tree talks a lot about the order of things and you Mm. get the sense that this oak is sees itself as an integral part of the land around it and keeping everything balanced. Uh, And we don't really know what other, you know, when I was reading it, I was just getting the sense of that's how it thought of things was a balance uh, and, and trying to keep things moving as they had been. Mm -hmm. One of the first times I noticed the capitalization uh, was on the first page and the tree is saying the, I think I might say this wrong, but the Quercian motto. How do I say that, Casey? I think that's that's about good. Quercian model is perfect. Okay. Or motto, sorry. The Quercian motto is break, but bend not. And I have always tried to uphold it. It was oh. not only personal vanity, but family pride, you see, that was offended when I was forced to jounce and bounce in this fashion by a mere making. Oh wow. my! By and Quercian is that—that's the Latin name. 
Yes. Of an oak tree, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Quercus is the Latin name and quercitron is the uh, like old Latin term that they would just say, oh yeah, that's a quercitron. That is an oak tree. So now we call it oak from a different kind of linguistic like uh, derivative. But yes, so quercian is basically saying like, this is the clapian motto, you know? So it's exactly, it's exactly right. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely an oak tree. It's not, it's a, it's a Quercus gariana, Casey. Yeah, that's right. That's the species name. Uh, Casey, maybe this is a good time to show our lovely yeah. guests. We actually, we have um, our, our very own, here Alex, take these. Okay. We've given a, we give it, came up with a name, a motto for oaks ourselves, which is Quercus eternum. And we actually oh have God. stickers that are that we made up, and because a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm on Oakside, Quercus forever. And so then Alex uh, made this motto in Latin, Quercus Eternum, and we're going to send these stickers to you guys. You earned them. Oh, my gosh. This but, is not meant to be a plug for our merch store. This no. is just a gift that <laughs> we're, just a, yeah. we're giving you because, guys. <laughs> yeah, I love that there is, like, they, in this, 70 years ago, okay, 50 years ago, um, this author came up with another motto for oak trees, which is break, but bend not. Yeah. And also it's opposite. Like usually everyone said bend, but break not. I'm like, how, how tree like trees definitely break, but oaks are so strong. It's like, no, I don't bend. I either break or I keep going. Yeah, man. That's, that's pretty hardcore. I love yeah. that so much. <laughs> I love how, firstly, I love this gift. And I'm really excited. Yes. Um, thank you so much. Um, but I love how arrogant this tree is. Yeah. Like the, that motto, just the fact that there is a motto, the fact that they've gone into Latin to tell us mm-hmm. it's a Quercian motto, you just are getting the sense of the kind of, the oak knows that it's the shit. Like oh, yes. it knows that it's the most noble tree. And there's a bit, and I wanted to ask you about this, Casey, because it feels like part of the order of things is some kind of, inter-tree hierarchy where obviously we feel like the oak is at the top but Mm -hmm. they it mentions a pussy willow and it mentions an apple tree and with basically more disdain than it does (laughs) and i I would love your perspective it has yeah. a Casey level uh, position <laughs> yeah. on apple trees. I believe yeah. it says uh, the apple trees in the orchard at the foot of the hill did not seem to mind, but then it, apples are tame. Their genes have been tampered for centuries. Besides, they're herd creatures. No orchard tree can really form an opinion of its I own. I love that so much. That's so. <laughs> it's such no. a good sentence. So I feel good. like I feel like I can almost feel the author just like patting herself on the bat. Just <laughs> can you imagine writing something like that and just being like? Yeah. LOL. I mean, it's it the is. 1970s, so I'm sure she didn't write LOL, but just, it's so good. It's yeah, so good. It's really I good. I completely agree. And But there is, there's total, uh, like, humans and trees, like, even if you look at the, the overstory versus the understory of a forest, there's some trees that are like, I'm always dominant. I will always be dominant. You will never be as tall as me. Like, you can totally see that. And as soon as you anthropomorphize the forest, even a little bit, you can get that kind of like, like, where do these trees hang out? Oh, that one's the seedy, swampy tree. And that one over there that grows in the high slopes and it doesn't want to talk to anyone. Like, you can totally get this, you know, idea where the oaks easily could have this, like, I am the grandest, I break, I don't bend. And uh, anyway, all of my acorns know their duty. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Another great line. Another all of my one. acorns know their yeah. duties. I have not given out one acorn that has not known its duty. I, I, yeah, I wanted to read this, or at least part of this. Um, later in the story, the, the oak confesses that sometimes it wishes it could just 
uproot and fuck all of my responsibilities as the center of the universe and the order of things. And then it ends with, noblesse oblige, I trust I have never dropped an acorn that did not know its duty. I googled noblesse oblige. I've yep. never heard this before. It's a French term, Casey. Yeah. Do you I know al- this one? I did. I also had to Google it. Did you okay. guys Google it as well? So I actually know that. it's um, So it's quite, it's a kind of... It's a, one of those things that sometimes crops up in the English, I guess in the English language, it's kind of around. Yeah. But this obviously it's about, yeah, it's just, it's, it's nobility and duty. Yeah. It, it originated in, uh, I believe, medieval England uh, when the nobility was expected to also speak French because mm-hmm. um, French was like the high minded language yeah. and English is for peasants. Um and noblesse oblige means noble obligation. I mean, almost literally, probably. Yeah, it's um, heavy as the head that wears the crown. Yes. So it's kind of like, oh, poor, poor, pity me. I have to do all these things to take care of you poor peons. <laughs> there's, I'm expected to be grand, therefore I must be grand. It's so fucking full of itself. I adore this tree. It just adds to it, you guys. Uh, I have a question for you guys. About halfway through the story... It says this, but I was very pleased when the motor car ceased to plague us all month went by without it. And then the next paragraph next month, however, September it was what happened in August. Is this like a historical reference? I don't know about what's happening. Why are there no cars this one month? And then they come back. Why is this in the story? What I love is that you've tapped into part of the reading of short stories that we always come back to. There is a section of my notes that simply says, stuff I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Does this, is this in this there? Is part, this yeah. is part of it. Also the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but that yes. whole bit mm-hmm. of the ending goes into my stuff I don't understand category. Totally. That, um, that would have to unpick. I was like, were they doing roadworks on the road? But then the tree doesn't mention that. Oh, wow. And I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to look and see if something crazy happened on the highway in Oregon in uh, 1970, right. blah, blah, or whatever yeah. it might have been that this, but I couldn't find anything. I wasn't sure. That is some serious, I, I love that devotion, like Googling news articles from that time in <laughs> yeah. that place to see if anything was going on. Um, That's incredible. I didn't even clock it. <laughs> I okay. missed it entirely. <laughs> the only thing I could think, but this doesn't even make sense. It was like, maybe it was like, maybe it was harvest and all the farmers were like busy. So they couldn't drive around in their cars, but the farmers still got to go to the store. Casey. Yeah. Any ideas I, what's happening in so August of 19 something? I, I don't have any good idea, but in earlier, the very first car that came uh, jiggity jouncing down the road, uh-huh. it had a young man who was driving uh, and then an old woman who I believe they called, uh, they said that she was glowering Yeah, and covered in rags. I'm sorry, rugs, I think is what it was. My assumption is that she died because they would leave it for and then come back at five. Mm-hmm. They would do that every single day, and then all of a sudden it stopped. Wow. So I think oh. that she died. That's, that's how I took it. I think that sounds right, Casey. Yeah, it's that's, very astute reading. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. And then they're like, yeah, okay, uh, no more cars. But then later, then another one came. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe her house went up for sale or something, then someone else bought it. Now, now they're going out there. I don't know. 
that that's a good that's a good i'm a little yeah. mad that i didn't pick up on that <laughs> well i will also add that i never even questioned that i thought it was just now moving on to the next device i have to make some kind of transition yeah and adding into that the birds because previously they always know like we were hanging out with the song sparrow or the uh the, uh, the finch or the bird or the robin and now these are other birds that they this is how the the trees keeping track of time is like i think oh the birds left so it must have been about this time so I also, another part of me thought, eh, it's probably pointless. So I didn't even write it down as like a thing I didn't understand. I just said, this must not be important and moved on. So I see. it might be a bad, so I, it's a bad side of me. No, I think you've just unlocked something for me there, Casey, actually. So I have, there's a, there's a section later on where, and I'll, I'll read this paragraph and because I think it's really important in the storytelling, but it's about how the tree sees humans and how mm -hmm. humans are always looking forward um, and sort of wanting to feel like they are going somewhere and feel like they're progressing. And it's interesting that you're talking about kind of the tree's perspective of time, which is kind of measured and of the seasons, mm -hmm. um, whereas the the humans have a very different perspective. Um, and if I'll just read this section and then you'll realize that you've hit on something amazing. Um, it says, they seemed to believe that they were going somewhere. Little mirrors were affixed to the front of their cars, at which they glanced to see where they had been. Then they stared ahead again. I had thought that only beetles had this delusion of progress. Beetles are always rushing about and never looking up. I had always had a pretty low opinion of beetles, but at least they let me be. <laughs> so, oh, God. when you think about how, you know, even with that moment where it's like the month passed and... And we don't know what happened. There were no motor cars, but the tree is kind of like, you know, just moving forward, moving forward mm -hmm. with the seasons, moving forward in nature. Whereas humans are like scuttling about like beetles with this delusion of progress, which is an yeah. amazing phrase. Yes. And Fantastic. kind of wanting to move forward, but still kind of looking back in their rearview mirrors. It's like, what an incredible perspective. Absolutely. And I love the comparison to beetles. I just think that's so funny. Like, I always had a low opinion of beetles. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that this is like, the, the, the oak couldn't help themselves. Like, they just had to bring up beetles again. And everybody's <laughs> like, okay, yeah, we get it. You hate beetles. We get it. Yeah, I made a little <laughs> chart of how I thought other species ranked in the eyes of this oak. Cause he wow. Seems to, yeah, he seems to like birds the best. Oh. Uh -huh. And then says that humans are better than squirrels. So it's like yeah. birds, humans, squirrels. And then it seems like beetles are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. That's my own interpretation. No, I think he likes beetles more than he likes humans. Okay, well, now we're really getting... We're getting into the getting into really it. into the literary <laughs> analysis. Yeah. You, okay, so you think birds, beetles, squirrels, humans? Yeah, I think so. <gasps> Where do apples rank? <laughs> or apple trees? Oh my god, apple yeah. trees. Well, that's, Alex, that's a bound <laughs> creature. We're only talking about loose oh creatures my god. right yeah. now. Jeez, Alex, get with Forgive the program, me. dude. My Forgive goodness. me, I'm a step behind. My goodness. Um, I Before we get into the ending, because obviously we have to talk about that wild ending. Yes. I, I think it's interesting to know about our author that she was the daughter of one of the 20, 21st century's 20th century's most famous anthropologist. Um, mm. He was an anthropologist at Berkeley, and her mother was a writer. And they 
he studied the last, this man named Ishii, who was the last uh, known member of this Native American Yahi people from what is present day California. Mm -hmm. And so she grew up in this household that she describes as being surrounded by adults who were fascinated with reading, recording, telling, and inventing stories. And her father would tell her legends from the indigenous tribes of California, from these people he'd studied. And then her aunts uh, would tell her stories of their pioneer childhood in Mm -hmm. the west of California. And so... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, there was this article that the New Yorker did on her. um, And in it, they said, at a time when the dominant story of America was one of European conquest, Ursula was aware uh, through her father and his Indian friends, this was before people were using the correct Mm. term of indigenous, Mm -hmm. um, and his Indian friends who came to the house, that there were other stories to tell and other judgments that might be made. And I think you see that so much in this story, her emphasis on there's other ways to see the world and tell stories. And this is just a story of a tree on a road. Yeah. And she's saying, actually, there's a whole other world that you might not be seeing there. I just thought that was so interesting. That's fascinating. I love that backstory, Lizzie. That's great. Casey? Nothing. You, took it, you inhaled. No, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm now exhaling. <laughs> so let's talk about what I'm going to call, continue to call, Act 3. Mm-hmm. There's... There's a, there's a, there was an accident, you guys. Yep. <laughs> um, a car is driving on this road, decides to try to overtake another car, fucks up, and Casey? Takes a left turn directly north, I believe, and as they say, completely violates the direction of the road. Yes. Which I should add before we go too far the author rather the tree gives the road its own agency in this this was one of my favorite lines from the entire story casey may i you may uh the tree is talking about how the road is sort of deftly handles all these cars and may i say that i admire the road very highly for its skill in executing such maneuvers which must be difficult for an unliving creature a mere making um so roads go above what Cars. humans certainly yeah yeah a mere making <laughs> a mere making i i felt like a i felt like i was on drugs reading this passage right yeah. i was like oh this is too many things going in too many ways oh man and i think that's kind of how it felt i don't uh, know i don't know what others thought but that's what it sounded felt like to me yeah there's something about the language that the author uses to describe the the crash or the build up to the crash that does completely disorientate you as the reader, which is incredible. So um, she writes, this maneuver involves a temporary slanting of the direction of the road and a displacement onto the far side, the side which normally runs the other direction. And you're like, what? And this idea that that the road is slanting and that, is how someone is essentially overtaking. You just, your whole perception has just shifted and it feels like we're on a roller coaster. It does. It's amazing. It's like an, it's like, it's like plate spinning. Like, uh, 
the this road is like multitasking all the time. It's like an air traffic controller. Yeah. Do you know how I took that whole section? Hmm. Is the uh, they basically said the slanting, and I was seeing that the tree the tree is not a driver. It doesn't really have the conception of driving in in the same sense. It, it sees it as a as a thing that's passing, coming, and going all at the same time. So I I took it as the trees describing the best in the best way in uses you can of what it is to just pass or as they say overtake another car so the slanting the direction of the road is here the slanting is moving slightly over so that you can get into the the direction of the other lane so mm-hmm. instead of going perfectly straight you're going at like uh, a couple degrees off to get into the other lane and that's the slanting and then uh the name of the of the piece is the direction of the road and then you violate the direction of the road, yeah. which is this uh, atrocious act. You can't, this is not the order of things. And that, by them violating it to make it go instead of east, west, north, south, that is when you get this cataclysmic collision with the tree yes. and the car. I love that interpretation, Casey. I'm, I'm totally into it because actually, in that passage I wrote, she uses the phrase the direction of the road and she capitalizes it in the same way that it is in the title so this is this is the crux of the story and you know as you're reading the whole thing you're thinking the direction of the road okay it's the progression of of time it's the kind of marching on of time and the change that this tree is seeing on this one road and I think Mm -hmm. that's one interpretation but seeing that this is a like this is like a glitch in the matrix as yeah. well. Like this, this like incident is the thing. This is the heart of it. This is the, the, this is what creates this kind of cataclysmic event. Mm-hmm. And I love how you've described that and pulled that together. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so there's some damage to the bark, Casey. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that she mentions cambium. She does. The cambium is, is wounded. Yeah. The tree's aware of it too. It's like, ah, oh, I got a big scrape, but it's not that bad. I have to confess that I don't know what cambium is, nor did I Google it. Oh, that's that's fine. Can, may, may I, Casey? <laughs> you may, Alex, of course. I've learned a lot over the last year. <laughs> I know. Your list of things I don't understand is getting shorter. <laughs> <laughs> cambium is a layer of goop uh, between the bark and the wood. And it's like the vascular system of the tree. So it ships up water... And uh, it ships down energy and sugars and such. Casey? That's perfect, yeah. Okay. And if you remove the bark, it essentially kills the cambium underneath that bark. Yeah. So with bark's ruined, then uh, it also, if it gets damaged around it, but it's not ripped off, then it could still kill the cambium layer underneath. But then the trees compartmentalize that off, keep going with the rest of the, the whole thing. So you lose a little bit of cambium layer. It's essentially, you get a big scrape, but now you can't use those veins anymore until you rebuild that entire section of your arm. There you have wow. it. Wow. Yeah. There Casey, uh, this is this is also the first place in the story where she mentions the size of the tree. Mm-hmm. Is this a big oak? 70 feet, 2 feet, 70 feet, 2 feet. Uh, 72 feet tall. Uh-huh. About 9 feet in girth, which Just, I'm going to say is uh, diameter. diameter. Yeah. yeah. Um, Huge. That's a big-ass oak. That's a big-ass oak. Not unheard of. No, totally reasonable, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, maybe for our oaks, nine feet in, di- in diameter is pretty massive. So that's, a, that's big. It might be a little, uh, in terms of reality that we know, if you go out to McMinnville, you'll probably see four-foot oaks any day of the week. There you have it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
so keep telling us, you guys, uh, what what your interpretation of, I'm curious, this whole, as Alex is putting it, the last, that last act. And, and, and what is the tree's response to this? Yeah, uh, I'd love to read this section because yeah. I think it's, it's so interesting. So he says, the driver had no time to say anything. I killed him instantly. It is not that this that I protest. I had to kill him. I had no choice and therefore have no regret. What I protest, what I cannot endure is this. As I leapt at him, he saw me. He looked up at last. He saw me as I have never been seen before, not even by a child, not even in the days when people looked at things. He saw me whole and saw nothing else, then or ever. He saw me under the aspect of eternity. He confused me with eternity. And because he died in that moment of false vision, because it can never change, I am caught in it eternally. Ah! The it's, tree's so pissed. It's so <laughs> fucking weird. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think, Jen? I mean... Jen's speechless. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's like the fifth time I've read that section, and I'm like, what? Like, the, you know, I couldn't work out, is this part of the kind of fractured reality? Um, that we're, that we're living in through this story is as part of the world, um, that they're in. Is the, is, or is the tree like a kind of puppet master who can't ever be kind of truly looked at? Or is it because humans have just been passing by, like giving no care to this oak at all? And then suddenly in the moment of, of kind of death, they, like the human has achieved some kind of clarity. I just, I just don't know. Yeah. Right. That's that's what I fit this that like this whole end section and the next three three paragraphs beneath it kind of also lamenting it. The tree to me is clearly upset about this. Like it's unendurable, and they're just like, "Why did you put me in this position? Like I I can't like the the nature of things are such that I I act like this, and I will do it. I will always come over, and I will always loom and then go away. But then when you uh, you connect me, you you entangle me into this reality. This, uh, this eternity, now you're saying that I, from that one thing's perspective, I am eternity. And then the tree says, I am not eternity, mm-hmm. which is funny because then everyone in the world also thinks trees represent this stability over time. Like it's a big thing with like property values. It looks like your old house is old because there's a big tree next to it. And it also represents stability in the sense of like this tree is a very stable thing. It must last forever. But the, the tree patently ref, just refutes that entire idea. It says, I am mortal, therefore I am like not, I, I am life, I am mortal. I, I'll die, I'm just an oak tree, come on. But now it's basically saying, you have forced me to take on an identity that I am not. Yeah. And it hates that. It's it's one last, for me, it was like one last reason to hate people. And cars. Um, <laughs> because the whole, this oak's whole, this whole philosophy, the order of things was ruined by a human and now it can't abide by the order of things. Thanks a lot. I love yep. it. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I, when I was trying to figure this out, when I was trying to understand this last 
piece of the story. I got mm-hmm. really deep into Ursula K. Le Guin's life. And wow. fun fact, she um, lived in Portland for the last 50 years of her life. Yeah. And um, which was great and makes sense why this story set in Oregon. Mm-hmm. But she also... Not only did she write like 25 novels, 11 books of wow. short stories, four collections of essays, 12 books for children, oh my God. six volumes of poetry, and four books of translation. So wow. she just wrote, wrote, wrote everything. But she wrote, one of her translation was on Taoism. And when I did a little digging about yeah. Taoism, which is, it's a religion and philosophy from ancient China. Uh It basically, the core belief of Taoism is balance between uh, humans, animals, and the environment. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more to it than this. This is the the cliff notes. Uh, But it's, it's about balance as the origin and law of all things in the universe. I see. And I was like... Mm. Click, you know, that clicked for me a little bit more because that seems to be <clears throat> the same perspective as the tree. Yeah. That's what the tree is trying to, to make happen is the balance of the universe, the order of things. And it's related to this author's worldview. Yeah, that's, that is well put. That's wonderful. Yeah. The The next thing I, I want to end, or not end, but at least add in, it says, uh, this. I, I did this whole paragraph. I said uh, I highlighted it with a highlighter. For those of you who don't know, a wow. highlighter is a pen that you hold in your hand and you go over the top of a piece of paper. It's, it's old-fashioned. If it is necessary to the order of things, I will kill drivers of cars. Though killing is not a duty usually required of Oaks, but it is unjust to require me to play the part, not of the killer only, but of death. For I am not death. I am life. I am mortal. And I think that's that's a curious, like that's the thing, the, the oak tree is basically saying, I can be one, but I am not both. I am not death. That is, that is just not what I do. That's not my balance in this part. But then when that guy looked up, he was like, you are death. Yeah. And it's like, uh-oh, that's where everything's thrown off. Certainly death to that guy. And also the tree bears it. So that's clear. The tree's like, well, now I have to hold up this branch too. <laughs> Can I tell you guys, I tried to find this tree. Did you? I did tried you to really? find it on Google Maps. I did, yeah. Yeah. Did you find it? I think I might have. Oh, did you find I w- it? No, because I, I had to look up, like, I, I went to, like, the history of Oregon State Highways, because I was like, okay, if this was in the 70s, where was Highway 18 in the 70s? Where's the, the bypass that they describe? And all I could find is that Oregon, uh, and they say, like, Oregon Route, um, Oregon Route 18 connects to Oregon Route 99, or whatever route, and they say, and there's like a couple places where it could be a bypass before you hit this. But then, according to my calculations, the uh, the direction of the road is east west. So then the the car turned off and hit it at a certain direction. And then they say that it is uh, um, the car is is south of the McMinnville bypass. So if it's south of the McMinnville bypass, then it would be. In a certain place. Anyway, I, I wasn't quite sure. I couldn't figure out where along that ex- that section it was, but I was looking to try and find an east-west section of the road because yeah. that's how people and horses uh, came to the tree. That's how it grew. 
both ways. That is, that's way better than what I did, which was like Google Maps, Highway no, 18, and then like, but, you know, <laughs> moved my little man along the yeah. road to try to see. So no, I don't think I found the right oak. There's quite a lot of trees along the highway. Um, if it helps, that's wow. exactly what I did. I was just, that's how I try to figure out where exactly is where I should put my little guy to move him along. I couldn't come up with it. There are two oaks uh, near this intersection, but they are nowhere near the size or grandeur that they uh, that is described. Mm. They look like they're probably easily uh, way younger. Guess we oh, have to go on a field trip. We got to go on a field trip. Say a field trip is in order. <laughs> Jen, get on a plane. <laughs> I'll get that plane ticket, guys. Yep, I'll, I'll come good. for this. Um, <laughs> earlier in the episode, uh, I I I teased something, right? I. KCT's something. Uh, the payoff might not be so sweet, but he, but here it is. Um, Casey and I recorded an episode of this podcast. Casey, help me do the math. When will that episode come out in relation to this episode? So we're going to be putting this out. This should come out in March. No, I'm sorry. This February, right now is coming out February on the 15th. 15th yes. Uh, 2022. The episode we just recorded should come out April 7th. 2022 you have some time to consider this then consider this a, like a three-month teaser yeah we thought about waiting and putting it out way after that but we're like no it's too much we got to do it now and and also maybe not again not worth the payoff <laughs> uh that episode was mostly about a german word and philosophy called umwelt uh spelled with a w because yes. it's german just be clear u-m-w-e-l-t yes when you which find it is defined as the world as it is experienced by a particular organism. <gasps> uh, K- Casey and I continually uh, characterize... No, Casey, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize trees, which this uh, story does perfectly. You guys, this story is told from the umwelt of a tree. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now, now we all react... Uh, <laughs> lukewarm i no, love it i they can't see me but i've got my <laughs> oh, yeah, head jen. in my hands yeah jen did <laughs> yeah, like a mind blown thing like, oh yeah. my god <laughs> you had met you'd sent me a text message yesterday saying like the story's so perfect for reasons you don't even know and i was like yeah. okay is it something with mcminville uh <laughs> is it what could it be did i so this is even better this is a great tie-in yeah and i i wish like we sh- i wish we had time to just go into it because the entire idea is so fascinating yeah when you really get into it so but we yeah. have a whole episode devoted to that coming out in a couple months yeah but yeah, this is perfect, and and this is this. It's perfect because it's not only like you're saying, oh, a tree has has an umwelt. It sees and interacts and perceives the world in a certain way. This is an example of what that way could be, which I'm like, yeah. even better because the imagination just to just to think about that is intense. The imagination to think about what that could be and then articulate it in a way that's not like, not like silly and like, oh, that's a fun idea, but yeah. like really unique and like in depth like we have all said this is a world that has been built in four pages then it's like that is something like it really it's it's really fun to think about it from that way and be like maybe that is how the tree sees itself yeah it's so creatively done we end our discussions on shorts uh by saying by asking each other why do you think people should read this story why is this an important story to read and i just love that perspective that you've just both both brought um, because I think it does. I think it, this story does give us 
that shift in perspective, but in a really sophisticated, detailed, mm. subtle, funny way. And that's so powerful. Yeah. Well, let's pose a question to you. Why do you guys think this is a story worth reading? So I, I'm going to read a quote from the author herself that I think perfectly encapsulates why you should read this story and what you were talking about there, Casey, with the, the theme of imagination and what okay. it can bring. Excellent. She said, imagination, working at full strength, can shake us out of our fatal, adoring self-absorption and make us look up and see, with terror or with relief, that the world does not, in fact, belong to us at all. Oh, mm. that is so, so good. She was, she's so good. <laughs> she's so good. Everything she writes, I'm like, you know, slow, yeah. uh, so good. That's such a good, smart thing to say. Oh, like, man. Yeah, I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> uh, Jen, what about you? Why, why should somebody read this story? I think for me, it's because this kind of story, Umwelt, allows us to um, evaluate ourselves in a new way. And I think that is one of the most important things that we can do as individuals, but also as communities and as kind of society, especially when we're going through periods of kind of great change and upheaval. It's, it's amazing to take a step back and take a view from 72 feet up in the air and look at ourselves and the choices that we're making and our relatedness to each other and to the natural world around us and just take a moment to ask those questions and that's what she does that is such a perfect way to say that like take a look from 72 feet up in the air i thought you were gonna say like you know the 700 foot view i that was that makes me so happy <laughs> uh casey why i think that this should be read because it is first off just as like a a, a, a uh a criticalness to it. It's a it's a really creative and I think you said sophisticated, Jen. And that is the pr the right way I think to see this. It is a sophisticated short work that you can read and be like, yeah, I feel like I kind of got an idea about what a tree's perspective could be. So I think just on that realm, it's well written, it's fun, and you're like, yeah, that was a good story to read. But to double down on that, I think that it is so important to see things from the tree's perspective. Um, we've talked about it on our podcast multiple times where we're, we're trying to say, yes, maybe if we look at it, this is good or bad for us. But from the tree's perspective, this is how you would see it. or This is how it would want her, you know, something like that. And I think as soon as you see things from that other perspective of, as a tree and someone who's focused on trees, then you see the tree, you you understand and you're able to empathize empathize. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, you guys, for your, your patience, your hospitality. That way, people can empathize with a tree and actually say, okay, maybe I can do something different and kind of give the tree its own agency to some regard. So this is giving that tree an agency, which you have to respect. It, it kills men and drivers and people who are crashing into it. So it's like, oh, that's pretty good. Wonderful. That's what I say. Um, my answer is maybe I'm a little paranoid that it's potentially less meaningful than everybody else's. 
Um, I'm a big. I, I'm really. I, I love structure. Uh, I'm a big fantasy and science fiction reader. Um. So those are two unrelated things. So first, I love good world building. This 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 story has immaculate world building in record time. <laughs> uh, you know, I love reading a book that's like. This is how uh, this is the El- this is the Elven city, and this is the kind of things that they have adopted into their culture. And here's why: this is that for a tree, and I think that's really fascinating to read. I love a story that builds slowly and then ends in a big burst of violence. Uh, <laughs> this story reminded me of two things specifically. I'm a uh, uh, there's a Flannery O'Connor story called "A Good Man Is Hard to Find." Yes. Yes, um, a good man is hard to find. Yes, yeah, which is just kind of a tense, uncomfortable tale that ends in like uh, fucking Murder. quadruple homicide. Yeah, yeah. And, and like really suddenly, um, it's like in the <laughs> last sentence. It's like a really nice <laughs> ride in the car, and then all yes. of a sudden, four people are just dead. Yeah, yeah, it's Jeez. wild. <laughs> um, the, especially the last characters to survive, the grandmother of that family. She oh. just like it. You know, in one sentence, he brings a pistol out and shoots her in the chest four times and she falls back dead. And that's the end of the story. Um, I love that. <laughs> oh Forgive me. God. Uh, it also <laughs> reminded me a lot of 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, mostly because of the ending, again. Because uh, you can basically follow what's happening and the ending is really abstract and and very, like specific to that the perspective of the narrator casey have you seen the ending of 2001 space odyssey Um, not a lot of people have made it to the ending of 2001 a space odyssey yeah i have but it's been a long time okay it 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 just turns into a fucking like nightmare yeah uh for the last 10 minutes and it's unintelligible and really violent and scary yeah um love that so if you like (laughs) that kind of thing and you also like trees this is this is the story for you Alex, your, your hot takes are the hottest. Just to be clear. Thanks, Casey. Uh, yeah, and, Lizzie Falconer. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Alex, you were like, I don't know if my if my response is going to be as sophisticated, but here's a reference to a classic short story, <laughs> and I'm going to absolutely remember the ending and be able to nail the theme. So let's just give you some credit there. That, oh, that was well done. Yeah, you totally get credit. And also, I love... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, everyone dies at the end. What a good story. Oh, and then a grandmother nice gets tale. shot in the chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for the support, everybody. Uh, Lizzie Falconer, Jen Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today on the Completely Arboretum. Uh, the podcast shorts, tell us about it again. And uh, hey, tell us why people should listen to it. Shorts is a podcast where every week we read a short story and discuss it together. Uh, we're most interested in contemporary short stories that show the world through different perspectives. And we have done a ton of reading. We read dozens and dozens of short stories to pick the ones that we think are the most interesting and enjoyable every week. And we'd love to talk about them with you and share them with more people. You guys have a big episode coming up. Uh, tell us about this season finale and when, when people can hear it. Yeah, so we are nearing the end of season two, which even as I say, it sounds radical um, and very exciting. So 
we have just released episode five and episode six, which is our finale, will be out um, on Monday. And it is we delve into a story called A Cheater's Guide to Love. So it's a bit of a gear shift from uh, this kind of. Uh, fantasy exploration of this, mm. this yeah. world of the tree that we've been having. Now, can uh, I ask, a, was was that the, a Cheetos, like the, the snack, or a cheetah, like the cat? Mm. Good question, Great Casey. Great question. Okay, um, it's because of my British accent. It's almost impossible <laughs> to understand what I'm saying. Um, but it's a Cheetos guide oh, to love. Wow. I see, I see, with the American er on there. Er, Cheaters. Yeah. Yeah, Cheaters. Gotcha. Um, Cheaters. I didn't even get it right. <laughs> So um, it is a, a very well regarded, very famous short story by a writer called Junot Diaz. And it's a real humdinger. There is a lot. We talk a lot about um, sex, about relationships, about uh, gender uh, and about race in this really dense and kind of explosive story. And there's a much broader sort of cultural story that plays out um, through this as well. There's a lot of kind of controversy over the the author and kind of how he is representing uh, his community. So we delve into all of that. So we do a bit of a deep dive of wow. that story. And that's our season finale next Monday. That sounds like a finale. Oh I my can't God. wait. That's awesome. Uh, Lizzie, Jen, thank you again for bringing this wonderful story to us and this wonderful discussion. Casey. Alex. Thus ends this episode of The Completely Arboretum. We did it. We did it again, my friend. Thank you guys for joining us. And we will link it so everyone can see this, read the book, or read the story. Sorry. Mm -hmm. This is this counts as my second book this month. Uh, and yeah, so everyone go read this and go watch Shorts. Yes. Go listen to Shorts. <laughs> it is, it is a, an, an audio podcast. What's our reality right now? <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Complete Arbiter. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.